Hey everybody, Sarah here, and before we get into today's amazing episode with Money Witch, I wanted to let you know that in just a couple weeks, when it becomes Black Friday, you will be able to get the Master Moon Playbook, a guided journal that I have created just for you for the year of 2023. It gives you new and full moon journal prompts and tarot card spreads and guides you through a year of introspection, personal development, personal growth, learning to center your own feelings and follow your own inner guidance. And it is a really special book. For the past few years, the Master Moon book has only been available to members of the Master Moon Collective. And this year, the Master Moon Collective is closing its doors, but the book is being made available to everyone. If you haven't known me that long, you may not know that making books was really the way that I started my foray into personal development. I started putting out day planners uh, for dancers and artists in 2013, and I've made a lot of different books, goal-setting books and journals and different types of products that help you Ask yourself the type of questions that I like to ask my clients in sessions that help them gain greater clarity into themselves, into their lives, into what they want to keep, what they want to let go of, how they want to grow, and what's really important to them. And I love creating books like this. And the Master Moon book is so beautiful. It has some full color images in it. It has really gorgeous design and lots of space for you to write. It also has some coloring book type features where you can fill out your own astrological chart in the beginning that you can refer back to. It teaches you some very simple practical tools about how to find things in your birth chart and it helps you make astrology really personal and actionable for you. So if someone tells you that it's a full moon in Aries, You can be like, okay, that's great. And you might know what that means in general, but when you know how to look up where 16 degrees of Aries is in your own birth chart and really consider what that might be illuminating for you personally and what you want to do about it, that's where it kind of jumps off the page and into being something actionable and direct in your own life. And this book makes that really simple and really easy I use it. I love it. And I'm so excited to share it with all of you. The wait list for the book is in the show notes. It will not be available until November 25th, but the wait list link is up now. And I would love for you to have it. It is my gift to you for the holiday season. The other important thing to know is it's only going to be on sale for four days because I have to print them. I have to mail them. I am a small operation. So this is not an indefinitely available product. It's only going to be on sale for a few days. Uh, I also want you to have it in time to do the year ahead planning and card spread and uh, introspection and goal setting that we do at the beginning of the book. So I want you to have it before January 1st. So I'm going to stop selling them on December 1st. So if you think you want one, make sure you get on the wait list so that you can grab it during the very narrow window of time that it is available to the public. All right, I'm going to shut up. Enjoy this episode with Jessie Susanna, aka Money Witch.
welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving, successful, creative business and life. I'm your host, Sarah, and I am so excited. I know I always say that, but I got to find a different word. I am. I'm very excited (laughs) to have Money Witch. Jessie Susanna Carnats, aka The Money Witch. If you don't already know Money Witch, I don't know what you're doing with your life, follow Money Witch on Instagram. Uh, They bring capitalism-critical, shame-free education to healers, hustlers, and creatives in order to catalyze change in their financial lives. She believes in healing, that healing our finances will bring blessing to our lives, our lineages, and our communities. She offers education, money magic products, and intuitive financial coaching online and in the Bay Area, unceded Ohlone land where I am also from, and does it all with impeccable business lady style, which is very true. Her aesthetic is chef's kiss. Um, And I'm so excited to have you here today, Jesse Susanna, the money, which welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you for being here. And I, um, I found you... I think mutual friends, because we're both from the Bay, and we have some some friend overlap, but I found you uh, online a handful of years ago, and when I first started following you, first of all, I was like, this person is a genius, and I was obsessed, um, but also I found you at this really pivotal moment in my own healing, and my own money story, and my own business development, where I was really... I had already done a lot of internal work, but was really noticing, oh, there's some stuff that I have about my relationship to money, my ideas about like what's possible for me and what I can hold and how I feel about having money, keeping money, being a good steward of money, that if I really want to... A, grow my business, but also at the time I was like, if I ever want to like be stable and retire and like have medical insurance, like I'm going to have to figure these things out. And I invited you to come teach in Master Moon Collective the first year that I had my membership Master Moon Collective. And it was so powerful for me. And just the work that we did in that one workshop really um, laid the groundwork for huge changes for me in my life and my business. And I know also for the people who were there. So you've been a huge, um, a growing part of my life and my journey. So I thank you for that and for being here and for all of your work. I just want to like start by like acknowledging you as a teacher and to say that you've been a huge help to me. So I'm really excited to have you here today to share that with everyone. Thank you for taking the time to do that. That's really kind. Yeah. So we work with a similar cross-section of people, the hustlers, the healers, the creatives. And I frequently talk about how there are certain money stories that are really particular to those groups of people. Um, Like, especially with artists and creatives, the idea that like the only things that we're good at are never going to be a real job, (laughs) that we're never going to be able to um, be financially solvent or have a good relationship with money or have money take care of us. And also both with healers and with artists, I think there's a lot of like, if you loved this, you would do it for free. And that it's like outright greedy and kind of distasteful to want to get compensated well for your gifts and your skills and your talents. Um, 
So I would love to maybe start there and just talk about what you see in the money relationship of the healers, the hustlers, and the creatives that you work with. I think specifically around creatives and artists, something that I've been thinking about the last year or so, a couple of years, is that specifically that word you use, distasteful, I feel like comes up more often in sessions that I have with artists than um, than almost sort of like anyone else in my cross-section of clients. And it's like an, a real internalization of that kind of like the distastefulness of money or like the distastefulness of um, pursuing money in the artistic journey. And I think that it's a problem for a sort of specific reason, which is that I think that um, capitalism has used art and the art industry to um, like launder a lot of money uh, in terms of like foundations, foundation money. And um, I think it's like a really interesting kind of little wrinkle or like pocket of capitalist um, culture that we don't like think a lot about or like talk a lot about, right? And it's sort of the same also with activists. I see it sort of similarly with activists. Those are industries where people are really fed a lot of information about like, it's like you need funding, but you shouldn't really ever be asking for money straight out. Like, yeah, it should sort of be like delivered in these like roundabout ways. And that is kind of compartmentalized into like grants, which generally come from foundations and foundations is philanthropy and philanthropy is the place where some of the like absolute most criminal, um, elements of capitalism, you know, like deep old money capitalism, like puts their money, um, for tax breaks and in order to kind of like wash the image of what they've done. So it's like, when you really think about that, right. And how kind of like, it seems distasteful to try to like monetize an art practice, you know, or it seems, um, like it, it, impacts the the quality of the art. Like I really feel that from a lot of artists, but you know, getting a grant doesn't feel like that. But I'm like, if you really look at what getting a grant is, um, it's really, really nasty. Okay. My brain is like doing backflips. There are so many things in this. They're like delicious and exciting. First of all, I'm really glad you brought up activists because I had a thought about that at, right as we got started that I wanted to mention too, but it was a totally different thought. And it was the um, a more like identity corollary I feel around both with artists that I, I work with and that I know and with activists that I work with that I know um, that there's a selling out that happens if you tip a certain financial threshold that becomes threatening because 
you have to, you, there's a perception and you probably will, you will lose friends. You will have to leave some of your community that there's a, a struggle bond identity that happens with artist groups while everyone's like really working and struggling and financially trying to come up and same thing with activists. And that if you do start getting either lots of grants, lots of critical acclaim, and now you have money, there's the like, oh, you've changed, you've sold out. And there's, um, I think there's a bunch of stuff that I've worked with people in there around of like, you are going to have to leave where you are to get enough money to go back and help your neighborhood, your community, your group, and like some you, being okay with some of that shifting of identity around how, how you think about yourself in relation to money and community and how you align. I want to like sidebar all of that though, because the stuff about grants and philanthropy and art as a way of moving major money around is so interesting. And I think that there's like, I work a lot of the time with performing arts. And so I rarely even think about that side of like the, um, the visual art world. But there's a similar thing in this idea that like we as a culture, we worship celebrity and kind of vilify working artists. Like every step of the journey along the way as you're trying to be an artist and you're struggling, you're not making any money, everyone is like, don't you need a backup plan? This isn't a real job. You're never going to survive. But then if you actually start to have commercial success, say as an actor, you are in a big movie, then suddenly everyone's like, I knew I'm in first grade. I always knew they were going to make it. Like, now we love you because you're making tons of money. But like, to be a regular working artist who makes a good living and, you know, has healthcare and can take care of yourself, that somehow would be a contradiction. Like, we almost, I've, and same thing with painters, like, we want to see you either selling pieces for millions of dollars and having New York gallery openings or nothing. But it's like, how would you even get to the point of critical success if you can't be a working artist for a really long time in a sustainable way first? Like we have a very strange relationship to these polar opposite ends of the arts. It's either insanely lucrative, like to the point where it's kind of obscene and used for money laundering or complete struggle bus and that like nothing in between is talked about as being viable and I guess I never really thought about that until you mentioned the grant philanthropy art money world what do you what do you feel like that's about that those polar opposite ends I think that it's difficult for us to figure out how to interact with money right now, you know? And right now, I mean, like, this century or, you know, like, these last few decades or whatever. But um, because it is all wrapped up in capitalism, colonialism, systems that we want to resist. So it's like, how do you resist economic systems with out, um, you know, damaging your personal finance or, or like damaging the way that we kind of conceptualize personal finance or including like our relationships with each other, you know, around money. And it's, it's easier. I mean, just basically like these attitudes that 
arise are sort of like coming out of our really honorable, you know, desires to um, resist these systems of violence that we're like living within and, you know, hold accountability um, for each other also within that. But they're not complex enough. They're inaccurate and they're damaging. And, you know, like, it's just, we're just trying to figure it out. But I noticed that I feel like, you know, within artists, activists, et cetera, worlds, it's like, it doesn't necessarily, um, it's a bit vilified to, to even like make enough money you know, to have like middle class, which it's like, ideally everyone would have access to what we sort of like conceptualize as middle class experience, which is like, you know, enough money to have your basic needs met, um, without precarity and, um, you know, to have some sort of like agency and space and funding for like leisure and retirement, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's not controversial when you break it down, but if you start looking at like, what are the numbers that are attached? Like how much then would you need to be making, which, and it has changed a lot in our lifetimes too, you know? So it's, but it's like, if you really looked at what that meant, like for most places, that means making, you know, a hundred thousand ish dollars a year, at least, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, especially if you're living somewhere expensive, um, but then that number in and of itself or like what it looks like to make that amount of money is sort of vilified. Yeah. And linking that back to the, to the word distasteful and the idea that like, the I, the word that's coming to me is tangle, right? That like there's no way to resist systems of oppression, right? Like artists, healers, creatives are like, I don't want to be associated with exploitation. I don't want to be associated with, with being corporate. I don't want to be associated with, um, I don't want... I don't want the picture of the nine to five that I was sold. There's all of this stuff that I don't want. And I can't figure out a way to reject that without also kind of like rejecting everything related to how I experience money, have money, manage my own money, that those two things get really tangled up. That there's almost like um, we end up um, kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. Like I, I feel this like... Um, Okay, I there was a time when I was very young where I was like in a a personal war with Wells Fargo because of overdraft fees. And so I just didn't have a bank account. Like at a certain point I was just like, well, fine, then I'm not gonna put my money in the bank. And like I took me having a friend who was like, You're not winning. Like they don't care. You're not hurting them and you're actually making your own life so difficult by not having a bank account. There was something about this like 
the stand that I was trying to take that felt personal, but like realizing like there was no, I couldn't affect any change that way. And also was just making my own life very difficult. And that's the the thing that's coming to mind is this feeling of like, by trying to reject a system that we find painful, we end up kind of sabotaging our own financial life. And how do you, how do you see that? How do you help people kind of untangle those things so that they can have a better relationship with personal finances while still honoring their, their views, their core values, their beliefs? Yeah. I think number one is just that it is impossible to not be a part of or not be like implicated in capitalism and colonialism. So I think, um, I'd really say, um, that's not to discount like, you know, important, uh, personal philosophical and also political efforts to, um, or, you know, push back against the violence of those systems. But like you're saying, it's not, um, if it's kind of these more subconscious acts rather than like really getting clear about impact and responsibility, then, um, you know, the efforts are kind of like often a little confused, like you're saying with the Wells Fargo example, right? Um, But you know, it's like if you live in a colony in 2022, by which I mean the United States, Canada, Australia, you know, et cetera, like you're not gonna, you're not exempt because you don't believe in it. You're not exempt because you're an artist. You're not exempt because you're a healer, you're not exempt because you're an activist. Um, you know, it's like, if we're like, don't want to be affiliated with, you know, it's like, if you don't want to take a $7,000 grant from Chevron, but you're still going to Chevron and buy gas, like what is the difference? Yeah. So when you're working with creatives, healers, hustlers, artists, um, What are some of the the most prevalent, I would say, like, maybe misguided views and beliefs that lead to, like, habits or behaviors around money that end up ultimately, like, hurting them? Just what we're saying in this, that um, basically avoiding your personal finance or cultivating chaos or, like, participating in cultivating chaos in your personal financial systems or avoiding it um, is like resistance to capitalism because it's not, you know, so, and often ends up having like the opposite effect, right? Like, you know, for example, when you didn't have a bank account and you were going to cash checks at the check cashing store and they're taking a higher percentage, like, where's that money going? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're not resisting capitalism or like if you don't file your taxes on time and then you end up filing late, And then, you know, you're paying on a payment plan because you didn't like save your money to, you know, to pay the taxes. It's like ultimately then 
all you're doing, it's like, you're not like destroying the system of like empirical taxes. You know, all you're going to do then is like pay the IRS like 4,000 instead of 3,000 for the year. You know what I'm saying? So often it ends up having like even the opposite effect, right? Like we're not resisting capitalism by avoiding checking our bank account. All we're going to do is pay like another $35 to Wells Fargo in overdraft fees. So I think it's like just really trying to unhook those, that belief, you know, that somehow like avoiding personal finance is resistance to capitalism or that like, you know, it, it it's like, it's really self-sabotaging and self-harming ultimately. Um, when it's like, we're not, it's like, we're not going to get to ethical. That's what I think, you know, it's a, it comes from a great place, right? It's a desire to be like acting ethically and acting in alignment with your ethics. But we're, I think like the point in this is that, you know, for example, me, right? Like I'm a white settler colonial person living in the United States. Like I'm already way outside of my ethical system that, you know, already just by that fact, right. By living here. So that's already not in alignment with my ethics. You know, it's like, we're going to have to do things or we're going to choose to do things in our lifetimes that are like not in alignment with ethics. So I think that instead of these ideas that like, we could come to some sort of perfection in our ethics, or we could like fully align our behaviors with our ethics, like in, in the context of these systems, that striving for like responsibility and harm reduction strategies is really like a much more effective, you know, thing, right? So it's like, for example, in that time period, if you're like, you know what, like, I don't want to give my money to Wells Fargo. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out how to wrap this up. You know what I mean? I'm going to take care of it. And then I'm going to go like, open a bank account, I'm going to like do research about where different credit unions, like, you know what I mean, are investing their money. And then I'm going to go like open an account at a credit union. Okay, that's a harm reduction strategy, right? Um, and probably you're not going to find one that like perfectly aligns with your ethics, you know, because those are the, these are like the structures in which we're existing in. To me too, it's like really leaning into the spiritual side by which I mean like the path of your individual spirit on this earth. And for me, I think that like we incarnate, you know, it's not an accident, like to be here, right? So it's like, if you're here, it's not your job to avoid being here. Like you're here in this moment of like late stage global capitalism for a reason, because like your soul is here to participate and learn and exist and teach within the context of like this moment in, in time space, not to, um, not to avoid it, right? Which is different than like engaging it. Like, you know, I think like engaging with the the interior process of um, decolonization or unsettling your beliefs, your behavior is a very big piece of, you know, work that's here for right now. Also like politics of, you know, um, like decolonial efforts, unsettling efforts, like land back, water back, all that, right? But um, reparations, et cetera. But a huge part of that work is sovereignty. And sovereignty is 
about like locating your power and and your control and making decisions, you know, from that like deep empowered place. So it's like standing in in your power in your finances is actually the beginning of a healing process that's also like intertwined with all these other healing processes. So powerful. Something that came up for me as I was listening was thinking about when people kind of think or say that their avoidance of personal financial responsibility and getting mm, into a better relationship with their personal finances is about resisting capitalism, resisting systems of oppression, not wanting to engage, not wanting to deal with it. They kind of take like a high-minded rationale for it. But really underneath, there's there's fear around all kinds of things. There's what they grew up watching. There's things that they've picked up. And then there's also fear of just like, I'm bad at this and I don't know what to do. And it makes me feel uncomfortable and or I think a lot of times with all types of avoidance, a little bit of like, mm, like maybe like a little bit for me, I know I had this when I was young of like addiction to chaos of like always creating situations that make your own life chaotic and that some of these like high-minded ideals are uh, a nicer way of of explaining your habits than kind of really looking at I'm scared of this and I don't know how to deal with it and I'm used to kind of like always putting things off until I've created a crisis in my life and like thriving on kind of these big explosive situations that I create for myself um What have you, what are some things that you encounter if you're comfortable sharing that like the the things that like when you get down to it, that people are really afraid of about the beginning of their journey of, of getting better with personal finance? What are, what do people tend to be scared of? I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Because it's, it's, that's the financial shadow work piece, right? Like what is underneath you know what's underneath that what's lurking underneath that that's the that's the Scorpio season work um the excavation of like you know how did I come to be here how am I you know perpetuating patterns um even if it looks slightly different or you know how's my um inner child injuries showing up here um And again, it's like, you know, there's definitely themes, but it is, you know, it's unique to people's experience. So um, I think the chaos piece can definitely be a part. Um, If it was your job as a young person, especially to um, kind of like make sense out of chaos or like clean up the chaos or especially to hide chaos, right? Like people who grew up in homes where there's a lot of like 
um, like chaos, there's often, that's often paired with like a secretiveness about it or like a masking. So it's like, it comes, uh, becomes really natural to sort of like mask that, um, to other people, which is obviously then going to seep into your relationship with yourself and everything becomes kind of secret. Um, finances become secret. And then there's a lot of space for like shame there, you know, and not a lot of space to like get help or say what's going on or like say you have a problem or, you know, um, try to get resources or speak about how like the resources that are available to you uh, to build literacy or do repair, like don't work for you and like, you know, explore what else you might need. Like it just creates a lot of shame. So, I mean, shame is really big, obviously. Um, that's like one example of how like, you know, shame can kind of cover it up. But, you know, I think just like a lot of issues, we're not ready to deal with it until we are, you know, and I think for people, they, there comes a point in your life where you're like, you know what, I think that the experience of avoiding this, you know, the experience of like participating in my own disempowerment around it, the experience of like feeling like I don't know what's going on and like no one can help me, um, the isolation, the shame, like all of that, like it's, you know, that stuff is like, that's the, the monsters under the bed or whatever. Right. And eventually often, especially if we've already been on a healing path, about other things, you know, in our creative journeys or in our like, you know, therapeutic journeys or whatever is like eventually just coming to a place where it's like, you know what? I actually think my desire for things to be different is stronger than my fear. Which is really always what it takes to change anything. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Or that our discomfort, like we were just like, I cannot stay this. Like I can't keep having these situations anymore. The discomfort has to outweigh the fear of the change. Yeah, or it's like the discomfort of the the situation and the circumstances becomes more uncomfortable, right? Like greater than the discomfort that you know, you know, of the kind of unknown or of like facing these things about yourself. And I think too, you know, it's like often we are um, regretful when we get to that moment of like, oh, I, I kind of regret that it took so long to get here, you know, but we have to give ourselves grace and about just like being, you know, ready when we're ready. Um, but I do think that if younger people can kind of like hear these kind of conversations and find it within themselves to sort of like, you know, take some role modeling of like hearing like, hey, like this is going to get, like you're going to get to a place where you like wish you had done this earlier. Um, you know, I don't know. At this point, that's sort of like all we can do. Yeah. And I think grace about being when ready when you're ready and also grace about the fact that like we are not taught most of us are not taught even the most basic personal financial stuff. And I see a lot of parallels around um, money education with like sex ed, right? It's like, it's just kind of taboo. It's either like shameful or it's 
uh, exoticized or probably both. And you pick up what you pick up. And then there's, like you said, there's secrecy, there's hushed conversations and there's the things you glean and there's like lots of terrible advice in the media and then seeing people be really flashy, right? Like it's like, we it's all kind of osmosis. Very rarely do people get any kind of direct, practical, thoughtful, empowering financial education as a young person. And so just like extending ourselves some, some grace around the fact that we don't know what we don't know. And that no one, if no one ever taught you this, there's no way you would know it. And especially like if you grew up in a household, most of us did, where what you learned about money was just watching how your parents interacted with it. And if they interacted with it with shame or panic, or there were always fights about it, or don't even ask for anything, you know, like all those things is like, that's most people's financial education. It's just whatever the attitude was that they grew up in the household with. And so beating ourselves up for things we were never taught, it's, it's not fair. And we can like have a little bit more softness with ourselves that no one just naturally knows this. No one's naturally. No, I don't think so. And you know, it's like, obviously some personalities are maybe like more inclined to be conservative or save a lot or whatever. And then, you know, over the long run, even if they were kind of avoidant, maybe they're better off than people who don't lean that way personality wise, but that's kind of the best you get, you know? Yeah. Um, and I do, it's one thing that has been interesting about my practice over time. It's like that. I feel like I have heard that lack of education statement from all across the class spectrum, you know? And it's like, I hear people say like, you know, it's like, because we were millionaires. Like no one ever taught me about money because, you know, we were living in poverty. Like no one ever taught me about money because we're an immigrant family. Like I wasn't taught about money, like just so many different people, like because things were middle-class, it was just sort of like we had enough, but no one was talking about it. You know, like how the bills were getting paid or anything like that. Um, I've heard really people say it like across, across a lot of class spectrum, but also at, with that statement like before it like because I was raised like this I wasn't taught about money and it's interesting that you're saying this because you know it just reminds me of all the stuff we kind of are like I can't believe no one's like teaching this stuff in school or I can't believe you know what we're learning in school but we're not learning that but it made me think that actually um the place in school where I do think that a little bit of basic personal finance used to be taught was in home ec. Home ec, yep. <laughs> and it's really, it's like interesting. It just started kind of coming to me when you're talking about it. And I was born in 1981 and we had home ec in middle school for maybe like one year. Um, but then after that, not, you know what I mean? So I feel like after maybe like the early nineties, it was just kind of like out. And then it's interesting to think like, you know, a lot of before that, when home ec was like, it was like, um, also like gender segregated also. Um, but I think that was a place where people were learning like basic, you know, household budgeting and, um, kind of like balancing a checkbook or, you know, those sorts of things, which is yeah. interesting to think of that aspect being taken out of school. That is interesting. And I, yeah, you're totally right. And yeah, even as I was thinking about it being like sex ed, I have described, you know, America as being simultaneously um, 
sex obsessed and sex negative, right? Like we're a sex negative culture and we're really sexually obsessed both at the same time. And as I was saying it, I was like, oh, I think the same thing is true with our relationship with money. It's like we're we're obsessed with the images of wealth, um, but also you're not supposed to talk about money and you're not supposed to talk about what you make. And it's, it's, there's all kinds of taboos around it. And so there really is this interesting parallel in something that like we see glamorized images of everywhere that we're not supposed to discuss or have a personally empowered relationship with. Yeah. I mean, I've realized that it's happened more in like the last three years, I feel like that I have kind of encountered like, I don't know, personal or social relationships, like people being kind of like off put by my like willingness to talk about or like interest in talking about money. Um, Whereas like in the big picture, you know, like it's like, as long as I'm doing it as like an educator on the internet, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like praise, but it's like when I'm like, oh yeah, this is just kind of how I am. And like, I just want to talk about this stuff all the time. Um, It can be like, I'm finding like more and more like feeling like, oh, maybe this is a bit alienating to people, which has been interesting because I'm like, oh, we just have to talk about it. I'm also just trying to figure it out. You know, like I'm not a, um, I'm not a, a poster child for, you know, financial perfection or anything. So um, I think like, yeah, like that lack of like interest or comfort of just being like, okay, just talking about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I had a moment in my current relationship where, you know, as someone who's self-employed and surrounded by entrepreneurs all the time and talk talking about numbers and launches and investments and like, you know, what we're making this quarter, what we're doing right now, what we're trying for, what we're shooting for, what our launch goals are. And I talk to other people who are in that world all the time and my boyfriend has a day job and like it was like a while into us dating where I was like I suddenly looked up and I was like oh is it is it weird for you that I talk about money in this way and he was like no it's kind of fascinating but it made me realize I don't know anyone else who talks about money as comfortably as you do and in this way where it's like I was like oh yeah I'm in this world of self-employed people were like talking about how's work going is this conversation about numbers that may be very different for like how's work going when you're like then it's a conversation about like inter-office dynamics and what things are going on with the people yeah well there's a huge disconnect just in like okay you're getting paid to do your work I've been thinking about this a lot more actually because I've been um I'm honestly hitting a point where I'm like, I don't know if I want, I don't actually want to be the CEO of Money Witch mm. anymore. Like I'm, I would love to be at a point where I could like hire a CEO. You know, I want to do the, I want to do the Money Witch work and I'm tired of like, you know, running the business in order to like set up the framework to do the money, which works successfully. Um, And in that I'm kind of like realizing like, yeah, how much of 
you know, because when you're a small business, like you're just doing it, you're just doing it all. It's kind of survival based. You're like doing it all, all the time. It's all intertwined, like the strategy, the CEO role, the marketing role, the practitioner itself role. Um, all of those roles just kind of become intertwined because that's your life. But I think I've been doing more work to like pull it apart and really like look at my company and my business and think about like, you know, what do I want to be doing? Like if I could get to the point where this is more of a company, what can I, what do I want and what do I not want? So in putting, pulling those part apart, those roles, I'm definitely like, oh yeah, that we really do have to spend so much time in that CEO role. So when you were saying like, oh, when I hang out with small business people, we're always talking about numbers. I'm like, oh yeah, well, it just, it's like, yeah, because if you went to like the country club and it was like all CEOs, that's also what they would be talking about, you know, but it's like, we are, we're the, we're the CEOs of our own business. I know you know that because of your course and everything. So it's like, we end up having, we're talking about things like that all the time and not just, we don't actually get the luxury of just being like immersed in what we do. And I just want to like double click on something you said, because it is a next level. It's an upgraded problem, right? So like problem number one is doing enough work to get comfortable with numbers that you can get into CEO role and talk about numbers versus like the way that I was, which was like scrappy DIY arts hustler was really what I called myself. Like I'm self-employed, but it's like, I have lots of gigs really like a bazillion 1099s and I don't have a day job, but I don't really run a company. Yeah. Then I had to get good with my relationship with money, start thinking of my business really like a business and running it like a business and get into that CEO role to get to the level of upgraded problem where you're like, not only am I a small business owner, but what if I built my company to the point that I was not the CEO of it? That's a next level problem that like, I just want to, for the, the people listening who are in early stages of your business to, to even shift from, I'm a business owner, right? That's a big first step shift. Mm -hmm. And then into my business is a company. It's not just me or, or maybe like me and a VA or me and a team of one or two into what would this be like if it was the type of company where I could hire a CEO on a CEO's salary and have a, a C-suite that I was like, a, a not like what yeah, if like I'm on the board of my company and yeah. I work in it day to day. That's a bigger dream than a lot of people are even thinking about at the beginning. And it's really exciting. A, it's exciting to be there. So congratulations. And like, what Thanks. a thing to be thinking about. And also, you know, if you're, if you're out there listening and you're in the early stages or you're like, I just got comfortable saying my business is a business. I don't even know if I think of it as a company yet, just to like push into the edges a little bit of like, what would it be like if you had a company that you were not the CEO of and where would that take your business is even if you don't want it, a fun thing to think about and dream about. So to start to expand into that. And there's multiple journeys, you know, some people do want to be the CEO and they'd rather hire someone to do the, you know, whatever the, deliver the service or make the goods or, you know, whatever it is, you know, and there's been different like iterations of that, that I lean into, like I used to do tax preparation and at a certain point it's like, okay, well maybe I could just like run the company money, which like I could run a, a, a tax preparation company called Money Witch, but I could hire tax preparers, you know, like that's one version of what that could look like. And I could be the CEO, like guiding the process um, versus like, you know, this other kind of like track that I'm thinking about and interested in right now. 
I love that. So I know we're nearing the end of our time together. And before we go, we had, we had mentioned this before we started talking, but there is talk of a recession on the horizon. And I know you mentioned that for you, you feel like that's why it's more important than ever that people address some of their money stuff and their personal finances. And I'd love for you to share some thoughts about what is really important right now and when there's this looming recession talk. I think, you know, the recession kind of just on top of everything that we've experienced in the last, you know, almost three years, right? is all of this to me has just been like, there is too much going on for us to be like fumbling around unaware, you know, disempowered, uneducated, like in a lot of areas of our lives. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, I just feel like it's like, we don't really have time for like old problems. Like being bad with money needs to just be like an old problem you know, that has been like, is, is yesterday's problem because there's so much else that we want and need to be showing up for. Like there's so much other work, um, that's being done, you know, collectively. And when we're in a place where we're feeling these, you know, avoidance, overwhelm, participating, creating chaos for ourselves, um, disempowered, et cetera. It's like, they're just energy drains, you know, it's just like draining your energy and preventing you from, from being able to show up for these things that, that are more important. So I think, um, I love the queen of pentacles archetype. Um, if you have tarot people out there, but you know, to me, queen of pentacles is like, just like handle your business and move on, you know, like the more we can just be like, okay, I need to come into a place of maturity that says like, you know, the priorities in my life are, you know, whatever they are. Right. But a lot of the priorities in our life at this point are like, you know, liberation and, um, really showing up to, uh, do that work for ourselves, in ourselves, in our relationships, in our community. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And we just need to be like free to show up for it. So I think like the more we can accept kind of like maturity and untangling what we need to untangle to like access the kind of literacies we need and, and also being ready to make decisions, right? Like a lot of times it's like, we don't want to get ourselves to a financial point where we have to make decisions about what to invest in or whether to buy a property or, you know, these kinds of things, because it's like, we don't feel comfortable with those types of power, but they're just a part of the same system that we're participating in anyway. You know, like there's no out of the system, right? It's not, it's not morally superior to be in a place of like less power within the system. Mm. So I think like just, yeah, just like freeing up some space. I'm just like, we just need our energy for other things. And 
um, the more just like courage we can have in, in moving past the fear of like being financially empowered and um, is really just going to like free up a lot of time and space to like handle what we need to do, make sure like, you know, ourselves, our families, our communities are not like even more precarious than they are now and our future selves as well. You know, like how much precarity do you want for your future self, yeah. um, your elder self to be living in and how much control do you have over that? So yeah, I'm just like, it's like, yeah, like being bad with money, it just needs to be like yesterday's problem at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's not morally superior to have a position of less power in the system. I just want to make sure y'all heard that. <laughs> it's very important. Underline it, write it down, put it on the wall. Um, and I had this image as you were talking of people in my community, people in my membership, people I know, spiritual people listening. If you are out there spending money on money condition oils and you're anointing your wallet and you have you know, money works on your altar, but you're not also doing some of the work of like getting right and responsible with your personal finances of meeting your spirits and meeting the universe halfway. You're asking for financial abundance. You're asking for windfalls. You're asking for clients, but you're afraid to balance your checkbook. You're afraid to look at your books. You're afraid to do your taxes. There's a, a part you have to do too. You need to be a cooperative component with the magic mm -hmm. and make sure that like you're doing the as above, so below. You're doing the work on your mm -hmm. end to um, to let spirit know that you're going to be a good steward of the blessings that you're asking for. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jesse, Susanna, first of all, thank you so much for being here, for talking with us. Um where can people find you? What do you have coming up? What would you like to plug? What do you want everyone to know about? Well, when is this coming out? <laughs> uh, it'll still be Scorpio season when it comes out. Okay, fabulous. <laughs> um, well, it, I am about to launch a membership program also for January. Um it is called Money Coven, and it is a space to just do this work, like show up for both the logistical, the emotional, and the magical side of money to like integrate those in a way that, you know, doesn't feel spiritual bypassy, doesn't feel um, like it's not exploring, you know, the systemic issues, but it is like pushing, you know, maturity, accountability, creating plans and goals, iterating on them, um, getting the support, like the practical support, the emotional support uh, to just do that work. And I'm kind of thinking of it almost like a gym membership, you know, where it's like you just just get some support and just show up and do it, you know, like um, it's just the space to kind of like strengthen strengthen your finances and uh, make sure that you're showing up for that financial self-care, especially if you do, you know, need a little extra emotional support through it or need some community or, um, you know, need some support in uh, different kinds of like attention or ADHD type self work. So I'm really excited for that program and um, yeah, just, just excited to see, who's like ready to show up to, um, yeah, just do that work and be in that 
self-loving space. I love that so much. And where can people find you? Where can they find out about it when it comes out? You can find me at moneywitch.com. Yeah. I mean, there's other places too, but everything hubs there. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being here and everyone go find Jesse Susanna at moneywish.com. Also, uh, you shared a resource with us, the, uh, the autumn organized, oh, yeah, the organized, which autumn workbook. Yes. And I will link to that in the show notes as well. I did it. It was lovely. It has lovely tarot spreads in it. And so I definitely recommend everybody you check that out. We'll make sure that that's linked in the show notes as well. Fabulous. Also, I have a book that came out this year. So oh my gosh, tell us about for that anywhere, anywhere books are sold. Um, but it's called uh, Money Magic, Practical Wisdom and Empowering Rituals to Heal Your Finances. Um, and it just works people through like these emotional, like the emotional and spiritual blocks piece. So, um, you know, if what we've said today is like resonant, if you're just like ready to do that work, I think uh, that's a great place to start. It's a really beautiful book too. Um for anyone who uh, gets an extra boost of inspiration and motivation when things are aesthetically attractive. Who doesn't? I really do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Thank you for listening. That's our episode for today. You'll find all the links in the show notes and we'll talk to you soon. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time, so many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at Intuitive Edge Coaching or join my Facebook group, Unstuck Group, to suggest topics or people that you'd like to hear me interview on this show. Have a great day.